Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 12th Man Roundtable, brought to you by Lucky Eagle Hotel and Casino. Studios of Sports Radio 950 KJR. And this press box is shaking. This is the 12th Man Roundtable, powered by Lucky Eagle Casino and Hotel, where 12s belong. Way to go, 12. Go the 12th Man Roundtable with Dave Bowling of the Tacoma News Tribune, Seattle Times writer Bob Condota, KJR's Hugh Millen, and Mitch in the Morning. Go Hawks! The Lucky Eagle Casino and Hotel in Rochester, where you'll find over 1,100 slots, Vegas-style table games, great food, live entertainment, swimming pools, movie stars, you know. Visit them at I-5, exit 88, and online at luckyeagle.com, where you belong. And where Bob Gondota and Dave Bowling and Hugh Millen belong is right here in this studio, and that's where they are every Thursday from here until eternity. On uh, Sports Radio 950 KJR, uh, gentlemen, it is that day. It is uh, the end of the preseason. Finally, I was I was kidding with Slickhawk. I, w- I was being serious, but it was kind of in a, in a joking manner. I woke up this morning, and I had spent yesterday afternoon on my computer, diligently preparing for the the hard hitting questions that I'm going to be asking you guys on the 12th Man Roundtable, and completely forgot. All day, all night long last night, until I woke up this morning, that there was actually a game today. I, I, I totally spaced that. I was like, oh, wait a second. I could actually ask him about the fourth preseason game. I'm doing all this Seahawks stuff, the Fred Jacksons and the who's going to make the team and all that stuff. I mean, what can we do? Let's start there. What can be done? What should be done about the length of this preseason? Well, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, the, the tough thing is the NFL makes a lot of money. The teams, you know, you're all going to pay the regular price, the same price you're going to pay in a oh, couple weeks to go to the game. So, <laughs> oh, that, I know. That's the problem here is what do you do about that? Is how, is how do you recoup that money? I don't think the players want to play two more regular season games. So, I, I think just doing that, I, I don't. I think that's an. I think that would be an issue with the players' union. Richard Sherman is Richard Sherman is a players' rep for the Seahawks. He's talked about that a little bit. You know, what do you? player safety being such a bigger issue if you started the season in mid-August or something you know you tack two more games onto that what does that mean for everybody's bodies long term and just getting through the season and what's the product like in mid-December and all that kind of stuff so um, I think I I I don't see it changing necessarily anytime soon I think you're I think you're gonna just have to figure out a way as fans to maybe deal with it I I understand that's the tough part everybody so wants football to be here and you see these preseason games and you want to treat it like it's the real thing and it's sort of hard to to not but then after do like that. 10 days you're like okay I've seen enough well, give me to the not, regular well, season so you know you just you see these games decided by guys who aren't going to be on the teams right. and you want to and you want to read a lot into that and then you realize you know the guys who made these who made the who screwed up at the end that that's why they screwed up because they're not going to be in the NFL in a couple of weeks. I, I don't necessarily see the whole four-game preseason thing changing anytime soon. How the game is decided is irrelevant, and people have to realize that. I think the preseason is more valuable than ever since the last collective bargaining agreement 
limited the contact. It's, uh, you know, these guys practice like five days a week in, in swimwear. You know, they're in, they're in shorts and T-shirts with a helmet or something. It's not like the old days where they were doing Oklahoma drill twice right. a day for six hours. You tell me me Bean's out there in a thong, Dave? I'm not saying that. Okay. And, and, and it's probably unfair to to spread that vision, you know, to people this that early was mean in the morning. <laughs> but I think it is more important than ever. You don't see guys in live action. It's the only time you can see them. How do they know who could be the star of the team? And you look at some of the people who have – Really impressed in recent years during the preseason, guys who've come in been great hard hitters. I remember David Hawthorne, you know, was it was a guy who you know was unheralded and man, in when the games came, he was really making plays, and that's how a guy earns a job, and he ended up being a a, a starter for this team. So I think, particularly now, preseason games are are more important. Now the fourth game, you may be deciding, you know, fifty, fifty one, fifty two, fifty three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and who knows, especially with this team, that may be a guy who comes in late in the year and and uh, produces for it's, you. Is Chris Matthews and catches a bunch of passes in the uh, in the yeah, Super Bowl. There you go, uh, Hugh. From a player's perspective, I mean, what would be the ideal scenario as a player? What would you like to see the preseason look like? Well, I certainly don't think that the regular season should go to six, anything beyond sixteen. Um, for nothing else, then I think that that the uh, the product would wane. Um, uh, uh, as far as the preseason, I, I could see going down to three. I think that now that you have the collective bargaining agreement and there's such a restriction on the hitting that it is hard. Uh, I think there's a lot of players that want to play the extra preseason games to try and win a job. So um, may, I could see three, uh, maybe someday two, but but I agree with Bob. I don't see it changing any time in the near future. 12-man roundtable brought to you by the uh, Lucky Eagle you know, some news definitely surrounding this team, even though they don't have the, the same type of issues that other teams do and, and battle for lots of starting spots like some of the uh, the struggling teams do. So it's uh, it's been a blessing for us here in Seattle the last few years to kind of know who the starting 22 are going to be for the most part going into the preseason. But uh, the offensive line, definitely the, the biggest question mark. And Tom Cable uh, saying this offensive line will be a special group, maybe the best he's had, and you know, within the same 24, 48 hours of saying that, they let go of a guy, Bob, that we thought was going to be the starting center going into the season. So I guess I, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full guy, so I guess that's good news, right? Because that means that the, the youngsters that they have, the Drew Nowaks that they have, are better than what we thought the starter was going to be. Yeah, Drew Nowak definitely, I think, has been one of the stars of the preseason, and it's really hard, you know, for for a lot of us sometimes. And Dave, maybe being the exception, being an old center, but but to tell that sometimes. But I think Nowak has really impressed them with the way he's come in and and sort of handled the subtle parts of the job, the communication with Russell and all that sort of thing. I would say on Jean-Pierre, there's a chance he's on the retainer program where he's a vested veteran. You'd have to guarantee his contract if he's on the roster to start. Uh, after week one, you might bring him him back. So who knows? Maybe if they decide they need him down the road, you could always bring him back there. Uh, And probably not a guy who there's going to be a huge market for. So, so maybe they've sort of told him, Hey, stay in shape and hang around just in case. But, um, but, but yeah, I, you know, they did make that move there. Patrick Lewis, I think is another guy who's, who's, whose situation has been sort of bizarre. Maybe I think, I think there were some of us who thought he could contend for the starting center job. It seemed like he spent all of camp as, as the number three center at best. And then, uh, Tom Cable basically coming out the other day and saying that Lewis helped help them make the decision with Jean-Pierre as well, that Lewis had sort of become the backup and, and they feel comfortable with him as the backup. So, yeah, right now, I mean, Nowak and, and Patrick Lewis are your one and two centers. 
I was very skeptical from day one with, with this group. What are they going to do? Uh, particularly when you look at the the uh, you know the hits that Russell Wilson has taken over the years. You just can't keep allowing him to be sacked 40, 45 times a year. Uh, I think as it's configured now, I'm 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 slightly less skeptical. Uh, I think Noak has has shown quite a bit. I think Britt is better at left guard. I think Gilliam is going to have a learning curve at right tackle, but he is very athletic and is and has better feet than Britt. They may be in pretty good positions. I think you know one of the questions I need to see is. Will Russell Okung be the guy that he has been? Can he stay healthy? Can he stay, uh, you know, can he go when the ball is snapped? Uh, how many false starts? How many mm-hmm. holding calls? That he better, guy, Dave, or he's going to cost himself millions that and guy millions has, of dollars. Uh, he has to be the anchor there. You can, you can fit in some of these other guys, and I think they're going to be a pretty good run-blocking unit. Uh, I think Sweezy and Britt guards will be good run-blockers. Pass blocking is 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 a is a different topic, and particularly it's going to be tough on on Gilliam. But I I think this is a group that I can see improving as as the year goes on. But boy, when they go and line up against St. Louis in the opener, oh, it's uh, scary. Nobody sacked Russell Wilson more than the Rams, and mm-hmm. he's going to have to be able to walk away from that game. Yeah, I, I think that they can improve, but uh, you know it's interesting that you got two of the top five guys that have been defensive linemen you know that that a substantial portion of their career they came from the defensive side and of course the acknowledgement that defensive linemen in theory are better athletes but they're trying to convert those guys and and uh, you know so the 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 craft of playing offensive line and getting involved with the unit and being able to play together and and uh, handle all the the assignments you know I think a lot of times when they miss blocks they miss assignments and, uh, you know, you want to just get physically beat. You don't want to have it a mental error, but you see that at a higher level with these guys than with other teams. What's the chances? And you, you spoke to, to Frenchie potentially being back. What are the chances that there's – I'm a, just throwing that out there as a chance. I'm just saying. Right, because he's potentially. A, because, yeah, because he's yeah, the veteran. some money. The yeah, team. he's the guy you can save some money with cut right now, and, and you don't have to worry about that. What's I'm the chances that some other team is uh, deeper than the Seahawks, even though there's not a lot of deep offensive lines out there? But what if you know some team cuts a guy that's maybe not at the Evan Mathis level, making $4 million a year, but – you know, maybe a $2 million center gets cut for salary cap reasons over the next week, and and you can get him for less than a million dollars. What's the chance that uh, that a different offensive lineman is going to be in this, at least in the starting five or in the rotation before game one? Well, I think they're always looking. You know, they did that last year much more so than this year, if you recall. Like Eric Winston they brought in. We right. all thought maybe he's going to be the Steven starting Schilling right tackle. they brought in. Well, was Schilling was with was the around. team the, the whole year. But there was also okay. a guy named uh, Wade Lewis who, who they had brought in who had been with Houston. That had, had, had played Davis, quite a, there was a whole crew. Yeah. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.
crew yeah, of guys I, they brought in. They haven't seemed to have done that as much this year. It seems much more this year like they've sort of like they like these guys, the long-term potential of them. They want to just find the best five and sort of get them out there. So last year, you know, last year they did much more of that. They had these guys coming in and going and, 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 and everything. Uh, you know, last year was when they, they signed Patrick Lewis like two days before the final preseason game. He played like 50 snaps or something. In the, yeah, they had four guys play center last game. year. Um, yeah. So they've done much more, less of that this year than last year. I never rule anything out with the, with, with the Seahawks in terms of looking. So certainly there's an op- a chance they might do that. But I don't know if they're not seeing as, uh, that, as much of an opportunity this year. Um, you know, we've, we've seen them bring a few uh, veterans in. I mean, they did have Evan Mathis in for a, for a visit. I don't think they ever thought – I think they always thought if he gets any sort of an offer right. from someone else, we're probably not going to be able to get him because cap-wise it was going to be difficult. So they're probably a little bit more um, up against it cap-wise this year than they were last year when they had – I think uh, they felt like they had a little more opportunity to do that. But uh, I think at the moment, I think Tom Cable yeah. – it was interesting how – uh, vehement he was about how good this group can be, and 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 I don't know if he can if he if some of that is sort of a sales pitch to the public, and he realizes, look, this is what we're going with, so I'm really gonna I'm really gonna buck these guys up a little bit publicly or what? But, but he's backing it up with actions, Dave, and I and I'm optimistic like you because it, it's one thing to just say, hey, I like this offensive line, I think it could be one of the best. But he, they're backing it up with actions because they're not signing guys from some other team. They're letting go of Lemuel Jean-Pierre. Those actions tell me that they like these guys. And I think it, they're, they're not having as big a shuffle in terms of bringing in manpower. It's because it's, nobody knows better than Tom Cable how important cohesiveness is on the offensive line, probably more than any other unit uh, on the field. And having the guys there and – and one of the things he will say is we need people who know where they have to go. And it, and it, and it reverberates um, Hugh's point there. You have to be in the right spot. Their job, basically, when you have Russell Wilson at quarterback and Marshawn Lynch as a running back, you don't have to create much space. You have to get in somebody's way. You have to be in the way of the right person. You can't just let someone run free. Because if you can, if you can meet, do your assignment, stand in that, put the helmet on the right guy, those guys will get yardage. Yeah, and I think that there's also you, you can hope that Russell Wilson will take another step in terms of his quarterback development. You know, we hear how many times do we hear every time Russell Wilson evades the pocket and makes a spectacular play because he has that ability, say. Now, that's the dimension that Russell Wilson gives you that nobody else could. Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or whatever would have been sacked on that. And yet, if you look at history, you take the top 10 rushing quarterbacks and, and you know, guys like Randall Cunningham, Steve Young, Michael Vick, uh, Steve McNair, Newton. If you take the sacks per, per pass attempt of them, it's 13.2. Take the top five most illustrious passers – in, in, in pocket passers, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, Drew Brees, Much Tom less, Brady, and Brett Favre, they average 25.3. Manning and Marino are over 30 pass attempts per sack because they know how to redirect. If yeah. you look at an NFL playbook, there are, there are numerous ways to change the protection to audible, to s- redirect the center, redirect the line, um, change who the mic is, what have you. And, and those pocket passers, they avoid, nobody ever says when they avoid a sack, well, that's something that the mobile guys couldn't do. 
But yet history shows us again and again that that's part of quarterbacking. And so I think Russell Wilson, with his his intelligence, with his uh, work ethic, I think that he can become that type of player who avoids sack mm-hmm. sacks in the manner that you see from less mobile guys. Guys, a couple days ago when I heard that the Buffalo Bills had released Fred Jackson, there was not even one inkling where I thought, oh, Fred Jackson. He makes sense here. I wonder if we'll go and give him a physical. Not one inkling. And then yet 24 hours later, we find out he's flying to Seattle. Ian Rappaport saying he's going to sign with Seattle. It's just a matter of time. And then the brakes got put on that a little bit by uh, by Pete Carroll the other day. So uh, tell us, uh, first of all, tell us what you know about the uh, the Fred Jackson situation. And then we can kind of talk about how he may fit in. Well, you're right. I mean, we all had that initial reaction and everybody, oh, what does this say? Well, we, then we find out Robert Turbin's hurt. And mm-hmm. that's really, I think, you know, 80% of, of why they're interested in Fred Jackson is, to, is to, to replace Robert Turbin for as long as they would need him. Um, he, he did come in for a visit. You heard Pete Carroll as strongly as can be sort of say, look, you know, I, I don't care what you heard, but this is what's going on here. And I think they brought him in for sort of a due diligence look-see, get a, get a real sense of uh, where he is physically and what he might want. And then I think there's sort of they sort of have this on hold until they know exactly how long Turbin may be out. And then it's another deal where he's 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 a vested veteran guy. If you sign him now, you got to guarantee his contract. If you can get past week one, then you don't have to guarantee his deal. So you can maybe try to get through the St. Louis game with with Marson and Kristen Michael and whatever else you have at running back. And then if if at that point, hey, Turbin's going to be out two months or something like that, we still don't think he's going to be back anytime soon. And if no one signed Fred Jackson, then you can go back and get him then. And, and and maybe the fact that we've been talking about it or even bringing anybody in at that level, to to me is is uh, sort of a vote of no confidence in Kristen Michael. I mean, he's a second round draft pick. Uh, he came in with some obvious physical also, skills. That's but to me, it could also be a vote of no confidence in all the guys behind Kristen Michael because well, I don't know that those guys have done as much as people thought. They Everybody haven't jumped. Yeah, they haven't leapfrogged him Thomas either. Rawls and those guys, and I think if they thought Thomas Rawls is going to be this great, whatever, then we don't have to go sign anybody either because they're really looking at somebody who can help them immediately. But they haven't Fred been Jackson. around this as long. Isn't and Michael a, knows the system no, I, better. I, I agree with you, but I'm just saying uh, this is a real stop. He's 34 years old. This isn't a we're signing this guy. No, to, no, no. He's as not the, the long-term as the tailback of the future. This is we might need somebody week two against Green. Michael is a guy, when I saw him come in that first preseason, he's got a good burst. He's got great balance. He can spin. He can take a hit and spin and stay on his feet. He has some some real physical skills, and and I just don't see them being translated into being a a back you can use all the time. What do you think, Hugh? Well, I think that what teams are looking for in that situation, um, you know, know, first of all, they want reliability. Is he going to hold on to the football? Is he going to pass block uh, and handle the blitzes? Uh, you know, I, I really think that th- those are the first things that you look at when you look at a backup running back. Um, you know, he had a couple plays the other night where he he's dropped just, a guy one he's time. Just, no, he, oh, no, he has the ability. Yeah, he did it on a chip in the first preseason yeah. game. He, um, but you, you know, that's knowing the chip. That's different than than sensing where the blitz is coming for you saw philip rivers and danny woodhead getting into it right. uh, in the first quarter uh, uh, you know there's came four four week uh from uh philip rivers side and and he gets he gets his arm hit he immediately looks at, at woodhead say dude that's your guy i mean rivers knew who was supposed to pick it up and mm-hmm. and they had a little discussion as as they were walking off the field that that that's commonplace and and so you've got that aspect and then the other aspect Michael had a couple glaring 
uh, uh, mistakes the other night of missing the hole. I mean, if you don't press the play side, there's a there's a there's a point of attack. Now, running runners are not obligated to hit the point of attack. They can bounce it back uh, outside. They can cut back. But if you don't press it originally, um, you better make something. And and the other day he had one where he didn't even begin to go off left guard where it was supposed to go. He just started to circle back. Even to more the right. than that, he went to the wrong side for yeah. the handoff. Yeah, yeah, he did that, and and so there's a reliability issue and 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 some vision issues with him. I, you know, I, I think at this juncture, clearly, it's a disappointment. If they well, could go back and redo that draft, there's no way they draft Chris and Michael. Well, what I'm hearing is it sounds to me like the Seahawks really need Fred Jackson. They need him now. I mean, combined with the what, what you're telling me about Chris and Michael, plus the injury to Robert Turbin, even if he's playable, healthy in Game One, it doesn't sound like he's even close to a to a hundred percent. So, I mean. Should we even be concerned with whether we pay Fred Jackson the whole year? If you need him, you need him. Well, he'd well, be a nice he, third down back because Marshawn comes out so frequently yeah. on third down. Yeah, no, no question. I, I mean, that's, I think, what they're going to have to consider. And, and they may just be trying to give themselves as much time to have to figure this out. Maybe, maybe Fred Jackson as well. If they, if they were to sign him, it would probably be for the veteran minimum. Maybe Fred Jackson wants to take a few days and see if someone else is going to offer him a better deal than the Seahawks could likely Offer here, I mean, it takes two people to, to, to make these deals work. But the Seahawks are at that point, just cap-wise, where every single dollar is going to matter a little bit. So I do think I do, I do think all that's coming into play here. It is uh, 8.23 on Sports Radio 950 KJR. Just getting started with the 12th Man Roundtable. Dave Bowling, Bob Condota, Hugh Millen. We'll talk about the offense. Should we be concerned with this offense who has struggled through three games of the preseason? We'll talk about this Peter King report this week about uh, Robert Griffin III, uh, Cam Chancellor situation, who's going to make this team, who's not going to make this team. If you've been following uh, Bob and Dave's uh, kind of this guy's going to make it, this guy's not going to make it. We'll see where they uh, agree and where they disagree. Maybe they'll come to fisticuffs at some point between now and nine. That, that would be fun. We'll do that all next on 950 KJR. Back to the 12th Man Roundtable, powered by Lucky Eagle Casino and Hotel, where 12s belong on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Our thanks to the Lucky Eagle Casino and Hotel in Rochester. 1,100 slots, Vegas-style table games, great food, live entertainment. Visit them, I-5, exit 88, and online at LuckyEagle.com. They bring you each and every Thursday from 8 o'clock until 9 o'clock, Condota, Bowling, and Millen. Bob just tweeted out a story. He did. I, did you write that in the break? Did you write the no, story? No, no, I wrote that earlier, but okay. <laughs> every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I wrote that yesterday. That's in today's paper. I, I would have been really people. impressed. No, I no. I, <laughs> He's doing. I'm work trying to during pay a little breaks. more attention to what to the show here. Well, you know, there's four of you in there, so I understand. He's you know, got it's a long time. segment at the top of the hour. You could have knocked that out. Listen to me or Dave or Hugh drone on. Yeah, He's got a few you're minutes. You're a professional. You should check how often Seahawk players are tweeting during practice. So, <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> if they can do that, uh huh. 
Well, we spent the, a lot of the first segment, guys, talking about the the offensive line. Let's let's talk about the offense in, in general. I have been very outspoken in my belief that uh, it's Russell Wilson. We know what he is. We know what Jimmy Graham is. We know what Marshawn Lynch is. And I think we know what this offense is going to eventually look like. But is there how much concern should we have going into the first few weeks of the season? Um, will this "Quote unquote struggle that we've seen Russell Wilson have in the in the preseason extend into the regular season." Um, yeah, th- I mean that's the million dollar question that I think is impossible to answer for sure. I, I do think I, I don't completely discount the preseason because we've seen we saw in previous years how good they looked in the preseason, and that seemed to be a um, you know an indicator of what we then saw. You know, Russell's first year in 2012, how, how well he played in the preseason. That certainly we saw some carryover from that, and right. and you know some of the other years when, when we saw that. I was reminded last year of. I was just going back yesterday, and you know their, their first, their last preseason game against Oakland, which they ended up losing, but but the pre, but the number one offense went in there and went 80 yards on four plays, and the one drive that they had, you know, just went boom, boom, boom down the field, and it was like, yeah, that looks good, and get them off the field, and, and you know that that seemed to be an indicator. Okay, they're ready to go. We have not seen that out of, out of this offense. So that all. important today, and uh, for I, that I, to happen? I think it's, I, I think it's, I think they would like to see it. I don't know if I'd say important. You know, I, I think as guys get a little bit older in the league, and as you say, a little more established, and you sort of know, I think the whole idea of of confidence and momentum is probably overplayed um you know i I don't think i don't think they're going to go out there and be necessarily questioning themselves that much but i think you would you would probably just like to avoid the questions from all of us around them as much as anything they could they could save themselves a lot of just you know hammering from the media and stuff like that if they were to go down there and do that and the fans everybody where's where's the offense where's the offense well the offense is wearing number 24 and he's on the sidelines and now he hasn't participated much in preseasons at, at any rate. I think maybe this is a little bit of an evolution uh uh consciously or subconsciously in 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 their approach to the preseason. Uh the first uh, the last 3 years they averaged about 30 points a game. This year it's like 16. They've only scored one offensive touchdown. Uh they know pretty much who they have. They have been working on the line. I don't know if they're keeping some things under wraps. Why would you show it? The way, the way teams focus on the Seahawks now, you know, it may be possible. Is why, why give them something to look sure. at? Well, what, they've been as vanilla what, with Graham as you can possibly doing, get. You know, and I think that, that could be a part of it as well. It's absolutely fair to say Russell Wilson hasn't been – uh, accurate. Uh, he hasn't been really sharp, but if you look at preseason numbers, you know Aaron Rodgers hasn't thrown a preseason touchdown. Tom Brady's passer rating is thirty-seven point four. So Russell is in the elite categories with right. uh, with his uh, somewhat sorry statistics. So I don't I don't think it is a is something to worry about. I think it may be even more just that they are they are playing a little more conservatively. Uh, in the preseason. Hugh, how has it translated in, in your personal experience between play in the preseason and into the regular season, both you individually and your offense in general? Does it usually carry good to good or bad to bad, or or, or is it a noticeable difference? In terms of if you play how, poorly? Yes, in the, poorly um, in the preseason I, I, I versus carry there's a correlation. You know, I think Mike Holmgren alluded to that on Monday, that 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 if if you're playing at a level through – you know, two, three games, you know, look how successful the offense was a year ago, the first-team offense. Um, there's generally going to be a correlation. It's hard to just flip that switch and just say, okay, now we're right back on track. 
you know, even looking back in the in the last few years, I, I did some number crunching, and and since Pete Carroll's gotten there, there's been plenty of games where this offense has been below to far below average. I mean, even in the last two years, there's been 11 games, guys, where they averaged less than 300 yards per game, and there's been eight games of 19 or less points scored out of those 32 games. So basically anywhere from 25 to 35% of your games, even with this Super Bowl championship caliber team, you're going to have five games this year where it just doesn't show up, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's panic time. Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't think so either. In fact, you know, the, what the preseason has shown me uh, is special teams are going to be huge. Mm-hmm. I think the defense is going to be way more back into ball-hawking mode than they were. Interceptions last year went down from 29 to 28 to 13 or something. The turnovers that they got were about half. Last year, I think I think they're going to be more aggressive. You, I can anticipate blitzing by Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, some guys who are really good finishers, and then the special teams, as we've seen with Lockett as the returner, and I think some of these other young guys like uh, Cassius Marsh, I thought had a spectacular game on special teams. I think I think they are ever more going to be ball control, what uh, and score with the defense. Get field position with your special teams and try to try to be careful on offense and this year be more effective in the red zone scoring with, with Jimmy Graham. Should be interesting to see what uh, what we see from the first team tonight in that, that one drive. Just one drive, guys. Is that what we're probably, talking about? Yeah, probably. And, I mean, and I, I one mean, drive it, for the well, I mean, the whole thing is if one drive goes two plays and, you know, right. they don't want again. So that's right. why you can never – it's more probably what they want. But, yes, uh, one or two. And you're not going to see Marshawn, as, as Pete Carroll said, because it's Oakland, they'll make Marshawn a captain, but he's not going to play and – what do you, I think he told us all, don't hold your breath. You're not going to see uh, number right. 24 out there. So that's going to be another thing, as Dave says. Marshawn Lynch will have played three plays the entire preseason. So how do you accurately judge if you've decided that Marshawn Lynch is the cog of the whole offense, which I think we, we've all come to that conclusion. They're paying him $12 million this year to be that. How do you judge the offense and what we've seen so far when you've seen maybe the second most player to it play three plays? Of course. And the counter is that those who have seen training camp and those who have, of us who have watched practice – Marshawn Lynch looks really good. Yeah. He looks really fast. He looks really fit. He looks really attuned. And if one can judge, we may suspect that he's happier and he's, you know, maybe maybe more tuned into the season than he has been. He's played pretty years. well unhappy. So I, I, yeah, I don't and maybe know. the <laughs> anger helps him. I don't know. <laughs> well, you mentioned finishers a moment ago. Bobby Wagner and and K.J. Wright. There's, there's a finisher that wears 31 that we haven't seen yet. And, uh Davis Sue uh, from from field goals the other day uh, tweeted out that uh, his sources are telling him that the team offered a 70% waiving of the fines, a partial guarantee of the 2016 salary. Evidently, that's not enough to 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 salve the uh, the the feelings by Cam Chancellor. So, uh, how do you guys see this ending up? And when do you guys see this ending ending up? I mean, I've been told that's not true that they're not offering something like that. Okay. So, I, but Davis has his own sources, so I don't want to say he's wrong. But right. I, but I have not been able to corroborate that independently. My understanding is the team is still really not uh, want to do anything. I mean, they they you know it's gotten this far. Not even they wave don't the fines. Do anything. No, they might waive the fines. Okay. But I don't think I don't think Cam's looking to stay out and just get the fines waived. I mean, I think he was looking for something tangible sure. out of this. So. Um, the team, I mean, again, it's the precedent thing. They don't want to do that. So they're not looking to try to create cap room to bring Cam in. They, they, 
they've made it clear to him from the start, you know, this we're, we don't want to reward a holdout. And the longer the holdout goes, it almost becomes more so that you don't want to reward it. You know, you don't want to give players, yeah, we just got to stay out 40 days, and then they'll cave kind and, of thing. And then at, at some point, you know, it will cost him the year. And I think that's where it has, the big decision has to be made yeah. by Cam. When, what is it, six games, eight games? He would have it's, to pay money point. if he comes back, though. And that's that's one of the things I think they've tried to get through to him is Cam's idea of, you know, th- there is that. Yeah, if he comes back and plays the last six games and it counts as an accrued year toward free agency. But they've right. at that point, they're we remember telling, that in the whole Galloway situation. Right. Yeah. yeah. But but they're apparently telling him, go ahead and do that. But you're going to have to you're going to you're going to not get the game checks. You're going to pay the fines. He would pay money. He would pay money to play the last six games, you know, he, because he would not get enough money back from the salary he would get for those last six games to make up what he would lose by doing that. So I think the Seahawks right now are willing to p- sort of play chicken with Cam and see, is he really going to sit out a regular season game and really going to cost a game check? Because that's when the money gets really tangible. That's not what, you know, that's not negotiable. You don't, you don't give that money back. Oh, I, I'm just remembering the Gus Williams holdout. You know that I think that was the year after they won the title, yeah, right? Was. And uh, you know I was you know middle school kid and just kind of shaking my head. Well, how does this happen? And uh, it seems like this could be the way Bob's talking. If if those events unfold, the most impactful year long holdout that you could have. I'm, I mean I'm still very hopeful that you know next week we'll just say okay, this is a lot of cage rattling that we've experience over the last few weeks and typical with a lot of situations like this it finds a way to uh to to meet a resolution in week one or in the days leading up to week one i sure hope that's the case dave you know the captain this is this is not just the guy on on the field who is so dominating he's in he's the captain of the team they call him the godfather in the in the locker room the thing though with this group is they almost seem to relish uh, some degree of dysfunction and drama, <laughs> they and, do. you know, with the whole Harvin thing, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they come back and I think, I think they take joy in, uh, in proving people, you know, wrong and, oh, well, Cam, we can't win without Cam. You know, everybody in that place wants him back. They need him back. Uh, I, I just don't know in the long run how much it's going to affect them. You know, I, I think it's just the tangible effect of not having him. I mean, more so than the locker room stuff. There's just a big difference. You know, Deion Bailey is, is a promising player, but there's just a, a really big difference between having Cam Chancellor at that spot and Deion Bailey at that spot. And to me, it's they've talking about the, the pressure they might bring, which theoretically puts a lot more pressure on your defensive backs to play really well and not miss assignments and not and, and not, not miss blow tackles and not miss tackles. And, and and to me, that's an interesting thing if they if they do that and if you don't have Cam back there and you have you have uh, Kerry Williams and you have Will Blackman as your as your nickels. You sort of have those guys are veterans, but they're unproven in this specific yeah. defense. You sort of have different guys playing those roles. To me, that's an interesting thing to watch. So what I'm hearing from you guys, it sounds like the Seahawks aren't even willing to go so far as to give Cam the save face adjustment to the contract. I mean, there's there's a, an adjustment of the contract, like a real adjustment of the contract, and then there's a okay, we don't want to make you look like an ass adjustment of the contract just so you can say, hey, I got I got what I was looking for, I win. Doesn't sound like they're even willing to do that. Well, I mean, you never know. I never rule out anything. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors necessarily. But again, so the, the whole idea of just guaranteeing some of the future salary, well, that requires Paul Allen to then write a check. 
So Cam Chancellor holds out for 35 days, whatever, does all this, basically makes them all mad. And then, yeah, okay, here's a check for $3 million. That's a reward. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think they just, they really just don't want every other player on the team saying, okay, yeah, this is just how long I have to hold out to get what I want. It's like like when you have kids, you know, the longer the kid throws the tantrum on the floor, all you do is teach the kid, okay, I've got to roll on the floor for 30 minutes instead of 20 to get what I want. But we've all done it as parents, though. We have. We've all done it as parents. And that's just, how hard it is. Just to get them to shut and, up. And, We've all done it and as in parents. Some ways, that's how they regard these guys. I mean, they're like, you know, they're like they're they're chill, you know, they're like they're children in a way. And that's how they feel oh, about them. But I'm in the midst of that right now with a five year old and a three year old. I know all about that. You know, the regrettable part uh, for me as a Seahawk fan is is you think of the identity that that Cam Chancellor gives you. Think think throughout the layers. Defensive linemen, it's hard for them to be great hitters just because they're in close combat, and yeah, I'm sure there's some defensive ends that can accelerate through you a little bit more than others. But but on a relative scale, it's the same. Certainly, some linebackers uh, are harder hitters than others. You know, others may be more tacticians. You know, um, I, I, I'm as I'm formulating my thoughts here. I was thinking back to a game that Rick Neuheisel had as the UCLA quarterback against Washington, where I think he went 24 for 26. Something like that, just some ridiculous number, and it probably cost us the Rose Bowl. And we had a free safety back there that was an excellent tech, tactician. I mean, he was in the right spot, what have you. He just, he just, he was soft. The players knew he was soft. The coaches knew he was soft, and he got benched after that game. It's like, okay, yeah, you're always in the right spot. We need a headhunter. Mm-hmm. We need a damn headhunter. And that was the last that guy saw the field. And Cam Chancer is the ultimate headhunter. Out there, he, I think, exudes his his dominance in the game. He plays a position where th- it's a statement to what Seattle says. Strong safety is a position we can either have a tactician, a little guy, run around, or no. We want to play a defense where you're coming down and you got a guy who's 6'4", 238, who's going to knock your head off. And, and, and it just pervades the entire tenor of that defense. And I just, it, it really, you know, look. There's a lot of more important things in the world, but I tell you, as one Seahawks fan, I am just going to be so heartbroken if Seattle loses their identity of a guy that can do that kind of intimidation of to their opponents. And that's why they paid him and extended him early. Exactly, because yeah. they wanted to hold on yeah. to him. 844 on 950 KJR. Much, much more to get to. We've got to find out who's going to make this team, who's not going to make this team in the eyes of Bowling and Condota. All between now and 9 on the 12th Man Roundtable on 950 KJR. Back to the 12th Man Roundtable, powered by Lucky Eagle Casino and Hotel, where 12s belong on Seattle Sports Radio 950 KJR. Our thanks to the Lucky Eagle for bringing you Condota, Millen, and Bowling. Each and every Thursday on the 12th Man Roundtable. A lot to get to in the final six or seven minutes here. I'm not even sure whether I should talk about RG3, but since it came no. from such a reputable source, at least I'll give you two seconds to give your take on the potential of RG3 signing with the Seattle Seahawks, as Peter King uh, intimated and speculated this uh, this past week, Bob. Well, he's not available yet, so Correct. I mean that's sort of uh, until he's available. But um, yeah, I mean Peter King was sort of just throwing out teams that might make sense, and basically the idea that the Seahawks are a team who, uh, I, I, no doubt about it, they they they, uh, uh, you know, will experiment with just about everything. I mean, they traded for Terrell Pryor. Granted, it was just a seventh round pick, but when when you know it was like, what do they need to add a quarterback to the mix for? So 
Um, but I, given everything of where they are right now and all of that, it, it would seem a really odd thing for me to think they would do. Nothing, Dave. Flat, no. flat line. Good. Yeah, let's, let's nothing. M- you agree, Hugh? All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to what's, uh, what's going to happen tonight and, and guys that are trying to earn jobs. And, uh, you know, instead of just going position by position, I'm just going to throw it out to you. What are the, Hugh, what's the, what's the position you're looking for most tonight and maybe a, a name or two that you're looking to say, all right, you got to do something or you're going to not make the team or you potentially can, can make the team with a good performance. I'm tonight. interested in Therold Simon, whether or not he's going to push Kerry Williams. I'm interested in what's going on in the nickel uh, with Blackman or whatever. You know, I think that, that 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 concerns me because teams, if they don't think that Seattle has a nickel DB, they're going to get into personnel groups that force you into a nickel DB. Um, I think B.J. Daniels is, is an interesting guy. I would have never, ever thought – uh, four weeks ago that, that he'd be a possible guy on the active roster. But given the circumstances that, that have transpired, seeing what he could do, I think he's got, a, as I mentioned to you, more ability than Seneca Wallace, another converted quarterback. Um, um, you know, And then you're always, of course, looking at the depth of the offensive line and seeing – Seeing where they are in that situation, you know, I, I yeah, I think Daniels is a curious guy because uh, you know his value on special teams is a possible mm-hmm. returner yeah. as well. You know, he could be the the, the Seahawks slash mm-hmm. backup right. guy that could be uh, you know great value. And then when you start looking, when you try to fill the forty six, forty seven men on Sundays, you know, then then the versatile guys are are extremely valuable. Uh, you know, I I, I think Bob will probably bring up the receivers and who's going to be left over there. And I, I, th- I think that'll be a good topic for him. But uh, I, I've just, I, I just have enjoyed watching this T.Y. McGill. I don't know anything about him uh, as a defensive tackle, except that he makes plays. And this is the beauty of the preseason. Guys come in and you see what they do in the game, in, in game situations. And here, here's a guy who makes plays. And I think he's somebody that if he continues that, then he's going to earn a spot somewhere with somebody. Hmm. Yeah, what BJ Dan, the fact they put Paul Richardson on the pup list, so you know he's out till midseason essentially. But I think helps BJ Daniels that much more because he is he is essentially their backup returner at both spots. Um, with Tavares Jackson's situation, he could be your emergency quarterback. There's a lot of things he could do. They only have eight receivers right now, so I mean they've got the five. I think we all assume are going to make it, and then you've got BJ Daniels, Kevin Smith, and Casey Williams. So. Um, last year they kept seven. Uh, they they actually had eight on the roster for opening day last year. They kept seven at the cut down to fifty three. So who knows? I mean, is that mm-hmm. uh, that open up a spot for Kevin Smith? Who, who Kevin Smith's another guy who's made plays when he's had a chance. He had the kickoff return against San Diego. He had the couple of really nice catches in the Denver game. Um, and then it, you always have to take into a grain of salt a little bit who they're doing it against. Casey Williams had the fourth down catch, which sort of helped win the game for him. He's doing it against you know not San Diego starting defenders. So. Uh, how much the coaches read into that, I don't know for sure. But obviously, he got you know he was given a chance, put in a situation to go do something, and he did do it. So uh, I think you'll see those guys out there a lot tonight, and uh, I think it'll I think it'll help them. The one thing though, I think both those guys will probably be on the practice squad, so I think they'll okay. probably be hanging around here regardless. And, and there's a chance too of getting guys who get cut elsewhere that might be showing up before the first game too. They're, there is they're that. not watching just watching the Seahawks guys; they're watching all around the league this game. No doubt, but a lot of times for the practice squad, you do want guys who you've at least 
already know your playbook and stuff like that. So, mo- mo- you know, most teams usually re-sign a lot of their guys because you do sort of want the guys who already – you don't want to have to re-te- reteach all these guys everything. I think I'll, I'll just also add the defensive line rotation. You know, it, is there going to be an effort to get back to what they had in 2013 where statistically they had by far the the most rotation? And, and Cassius Mark, Frank, Frank Clark, is he a guy that can come in – we think he's going to play, or I think he's going to play in nickel situations um, when the varsity gets going. How much more? Is it just third and long that he's going to play, or can he work himself into some packages where maybe it's second and eight and he gets in there and they feel like, well, you know, he plays the run stoutly mm-hmm. enough that that in, in you know what's a little bit more of a neutral down situation that he could play? I'd argue that's already been decided. Yeah. I think he's he, shown enough already. Yeah, by far. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, how much of the package is it, right? If he's not a starter, you know, uh, what are the yeah, down right. and distances that he would play? Is it just certain circumstances, or can he expand the I, amount I think his capacity his versatility. To, to show that bull rush he yeah. had the other day and, and to be so good, in the gaps and against the run, uh, way better than I expected of him or th- that I thought uh, I would see out of him. Will in, he play in, on first and OTAs ten? Will they and rotate stuff? him in on first and ten? See, I agree. I think that's, I think that's I, what I, opponents I, will look. If Frank Clark's in there, they're going to try to run it. They're going to test that until he proves it. And he's done a nice job in some of these preseason so games. Far. But. Guys, enjoy preseason game number four as much as you can enjoy a preseason game number four. And let's see if we can just get out of this thing healthy. All right? Nobody break their ankles tonight, Bob. You stay healthy. Dave, you stay healthy. Hugh, all right? And uh, we will talk to you next week. Appreciate you guys coming in.